pretty consistently the time I feel the most pressure at work is a crying scene. Oh. Right? Everyone on set is like, quiet, please. Everyone, please be quiet. (laughs) Brie has to make water come out of her eyes. Maybe once, maybe 500 times. Everyone stop and stare and be quiet. You build up mechanisms that allow you to get it done in that pressure moment. And in the past, the easiest way for me to get to that was to think unkind thoughts, to tell myself, you're going to do a terrible job. This is going to suck. You're a terrible actor. And of course, the tears will come. And after about a decade of that and doing so much therapy and realizing that, yeah, I could still always cry on cue, but I'm still just running to my therapist talking about how horrible I am to myself. And I'm using my job as an opportunity to beat myself up. When I was on a job where I was very close with the director and I knew it could be a safe space and I could try out a new technique, I thought, what if I tried gratitude? And so I said to the director, I'm going to try something different. If you notice anything different about my performance, it seems not right. Just let me know. I'll flip back to the old way, (laughs) but just want to try this out. And so instead, right before the crying scene, I just got really still as they're all going, quiet, please, quiet. And I looked at each person's face and I just went thinking to myself, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful to this person holding the boom mic. I'm going to cry just talking about it. I'm so grateful to my fellow actor. I'm so grateful to be alive right now. I'm so grateful to my body. And as I came from this place of gratitude, the tears came. And I was able to cry from this place of love just as easily as I was able to from a state of bullying myself. And when I walked away from the scene, I felt good. Learning lots, learning lots. Bree and Jesse are learning lots. But learn so much their heads will grow. There won't be anything they don't know. They'll make Einstein look like a stupid I'm Jesse, and I'm Bree, and we're learning, learning lots. lots. This episode's topic is pressure. Pressure, our dear friend, pressure. <laughs> hey there. We are so inundated with forms of pressure of how to be, how to look, how to feel, how to present ourselves. As much like our conversation about anxiety, when is pressure actually helping us in our performance, and when is it deterring us? It can be a really powerful thing. You know, when I think about the jobs where I have felt the pressure to tell a truthful story, pressure has worked in my favor and has pushed me beyond my expectations of what I thought I could do. But then, of course, there's times where the pressure feels like so much, it can trip you up. What does preparation look like when you're dealing with pressure? Jesse, how do you handle that? Well, this last year, I knew I was about to do some fight scenes in Mythic Quest. And right off the bat, I was like, oh, good God, if I get injured, this is going to screw up the whole season. I'm supposed to be an able-bodied person on this show. I have this history with a knee injury. And so what I did was I just started training three times a week with a personal trainer and building up my muscles so that when the day came, I wouldn't be so scared and anxious, but also I would feel more physically capable of taking on this risk and knowing that like I wasn't just leaving all the pressure for the day of, I was preparing. And so I think that preparation really helped me digest some of the pressure I was feeling. How did you feel after you won the Oscar? Did you feel like there was a lot of pressure on you for choosing your next jobs? So I felt so much pressure trying to become a working actor, but that didn't compare. Even though I was fighting for my survival, 
then the pressure of how do I maintain or how do I continue to succeed? How am I dealing with the fact that I'm going to make mistakes now and before the stakes were only with myself and not with the public? And it didn't matter and it would just disappear. And now there's stakes. Those are two, you know, very different things that you kind of have to learn to reconcile with. It takes time. The pressure's coming from what? It's coming from me or it's coming from the outside? And who do I owe it to? Who do I owe it to to make sure that I'm healthy in my mind, body, spirit, that I'm doing things in accord with my own moral code and that I'm moving in a direction that is a life that I want to live? What we just talked about was pressure within ourselves. What about the pressure to let somebody else down? I feel a lot of pressure to remain reliable. And with COVID especially, I took my safety so seriously because I knew that there were people relying on me. And so I had this pressure to never get sick because if I got COVID, we would have had to shut down for two weeks potentially. That pressure is good and bad because it's good that it propels me into being as healthy a person as possible. But it's bad in that when I do get a cold, I'm brutal to myself about it. Yes, my body, my health, and my job is important to me. But feeling the pressure of saying, I want to make sure that I'm there for my friends and family, that I'm able to pick up the phone when they call. That is, I think, also a very healthy pressure. This could dovetail into a whole other episode about balance. Yeah. Fun fact, my hot take is, doesn't exist. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you were peer pressured? I definitely feel like I've been pressured with experiences. I remember being very pressured to jump off a cliff. <laughs> Well, with what? water underneath it. I was very <laughs> pressured to do that. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think that's going to be right for me. People are like, come on, like, it's not a big deal. Just jump. And you want to be that person that's like, oh, yeah, of course, like, I can do this. Is there a part of your identity that you feel pressure to be? I put a lot of pressure on myself to stay funny. That's how I manage being sad as I figure out a way to laugh about it or make other people laugh. It's like my Band-Aid, and it's not always healthy, but I definitely put pressure on myself to remain funny and then also to make money. I feel when I go too long without getting a job, I get really stressed out. I think it links up with something in me from being a kid, and I just, I don't want to run out of money. I like making some predictions before we actually have our guest on, and I'm going to make some pretty clear predictions that what I am experiencing as pressure in my life is just incomparable yeah. to what our guest has <laughs> is experiencing. I think it's possible. I'm going to predict that he's more well-adjusted than we are. <laughs> For those listening, you can't tell, but I'm wearing a Seahawks hat right now because in this house, we are Seahawks all day. So it is a true honor, and I'm nervous and thrilled and excited to have my hero, Russell Wilson, on. He is the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. He is also a founder of Limitless Minds, an organization dedicated to enriching culture and optimizing performance. Just recently won the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, which is a huge honor and says so much about his charitable giving, the work he does giving back. And he has been a huge source of inspiration for me in terms of resilience, kindness, leadership. In the last couple of years in particular, I've just become so interested in the intersect of how athletes and artists are actually more connected than not. We have more in common than not in terms of flow state, leadership abilities, guiding a team, Russell being the quarterback. It takes the entire team to do it, but he's the one hearing the plays, making judgment calls in sometimes a split-second decision and needing to throw a ball with absolute precision while there's so many things moving and happening at once. And then what happens in the locker room afterwards? 
The one thing we don't have to do is finish a scene and then walk into an interview about that scene. <laughs> I just cannot imagine. Our version would be like in the hair and makeup trailer at the end of the day. Football is actually really complicated. It's its own language. It has a lot of rules. I'm like a beginner at understanding football. So don't worry. If you don't know all the ins and outs of football, you're not going to be lost in this conversation. We're here for you. Oh, yeah. If anyone's nervous about football, you can just saddle on up to me and we can ride this pony together. Also, Elijah wants to jump in and ask one very specific question, more from like a male football perspective. So I thought it'd be interesting. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know if we'll cover it in the conversation. And then he said, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, we won't know to ask that. So go ahead. <laughs> so he might pop in. Max submitted his question through in the outline. Okay, great. So to be clear, both of our partners are very excited about this conversation, so they will be inserting themselves <laughs> into it. <laughs> they will be backseat driving the football conversation. <laughs> Enjoy that ride. Let's talk to Russell. All right. Hello, Russell. What's up, Bree? I'm so excited for this conversation. Okay, so our topic is pressure. When I think of you and I think of pressure, I, of course, have to think of myself. And I think about <laughs> the last time I saw you in person at the game in Seattle. It wasn't until I was in that stadium watching this happen and feeling the energy of people around me that I was sweating just being there. Just as a performer, I was like, I don't know how you day in and day out handle the live pressure of the moment. I think pressure is a privilege. You know, if you don't have high, high pressure, then you're not doing anything that's worth living for. I look forward to the pressure. I look forward to the obstacles. I look forward to the journey. I look forward to the tough times. And so when the lights are on, you know, it's lights, camera, action. It's time to put on a show. But I think there's a great balance there, right, of being able to know that the pressure is a privilege and also knowing that that's also a blessing. You know, I think it's such an important thing to be free in a state of mind that you want to be in. And so I think that's why you have to surround yourself with good thoughts all the time. And that's why I always talk about neutral thinking and stuff like that. I want to be the best version of me every time I step on the field. I think that's key. You mentioned neutral thinking. Will you explain to our listeners what that means to you? The thing that we talk about around neutral thinking, just I'm a positive person by nature. Bree knows me really well, her being a Seahawks fan, but it's really, really hard to be freaking positive when somebody has cancer, when somebody is going through something mentally, emotionally, or when COVID's happening and COVID hits your grandmother and you lose her. How do you overcome all these obstacles? It's really hard to be positive in the midst of the storm. If you're down in the game with two minutes to go, how do you remain positive? Well, the best athletes, the best entertainers, the best performers, the best actors, the best people in the world, they remain neutral in the midst of the storm. Now, what neutral thinking is, it really allows us to control our language. Rather than us saying, oh, I suck. I'm the worst. I'm just, I'm not very good. Why can't I do this? All those kind of things. We actually change our languages. Like, you know what? It's good to be here. I'm glad to be here today. Like, I'm built for this. I'm here. My first Super Bowl, the Super Bowl that we won, I just kept repeating myself. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And it allows me to be present in the moment. I think great free throw shooters, you watch Steph Curry and you're watching this guy shoot threes all over the world right now, just from other countries, he's shooting it and making it. It's like, how does this guy do this? And obviously he's got amazing talent, world-class talent, but also he's just in the moment. He's just feeling it. And maybe you guys can tell me this, but from an acting standpoint, I would assume that you guys get so connected to the character that you get lost in the character. And I think mm -hmm. that the same thing with playing quarterback is you get lost in the moment. Some people call it the it factor. Some people call it this and that. But I, I think it's when somebody's neutral. People always ask me, you know, does that mean that you're not passionate? 
And no, that doesn't mean that. What it actually means is that, yeah, you can be passionate as you want. It's a difference between living with great emotion, living with great passion. I can live with great emotion and play with great emotion, but I just don't want to be emotional. And I think that allows me to be consistent every day in my relationships, be consistent in business, be consistent in my play, my career, my marriage, kind of do this on the sidelines, just be neutral. I'm not sure if you guys have ever driven stick shift. If you ever drive a stick shift car, one of the first things you got to learn is how to get back to neutral. Mm. right? You got to know how to get to neutral. And the faster you can get to neutral, the safer you can drive. I love about you talking about neutral mind because, you know, for us, when we're on set, energy is a huge thing. If you're in a scene where you're doing something deeply emotional, there is this sense of keeping things on set in a certain way because you know when that energy is palpable and and you want to keep it moving. And I know that football is the same way. Those timeouts the other team will just cut you off. And so the idea that you've created a space for yourself where you are immovable, where it's like, sure, you can do that. I'm still here. You're recognizing that the momentum continues. It's not a fluke. It's not something that can be taken. It is just a given. It just exists and it exists for all of us in whatever field we're in. I found it so interesting because I've only been in acting and I didn't really go to school for it. So anything that I've learned tool-wise has just been stuff that I've discovered on my own in the last couple of years and getting to talk to and be friends with more athletes, I'm realizing that at a certain level of performance, like you're saying, we all have kind of realized like, oh, I can't get too high and I can't get too low. Like there has to be this thing. Otherwise there's too much going on and it's not sustainable. So do you still have to be in practice? Do you feel like this is something that you can obtain mastery to, or is this something that you're constantly working on? Yeah, I think it's something that you can definitely master, but I think it takes time. You know, one of the things that I think about all the time is, is that if we don't practice it, how do we become any good at it? You know, we think about our diet, for example, right? It's something that we can control. If I put something in my body, well, my body's going to respond to that, whatever it is, good or bad. Well, it's the same thing with my mind, right? My mind is a muscle. So if I feed it with bad music, it's going to get me into that zone of a place that I may not want to be in right then. That changes me, whether right then or later. You know, the things that we watch really play into you know, how we respond, how we take care of our loved ones, how we think about an issue or whatever it may be, the things that we receive with social media. I can sit on my phone and Instagram for 45 minutes and get lost into absolutely nothing. Nothing that's <laughs> anything that's worthy of anything. Let me just adjust that. Let me make that five minutes of nothingness and then do 40 minutes of giving me something that actually is going to feed me during the season. The season's hectic. It's so much going on. You know, I may be at the top of my game and the next week, ah, shoot, maybe that game, didn't, we didn't win that game. But the thing is, every day they're talking about me on ESPN, some form or fashion. So what I do is when I go through the cafeteria, I just look the other way. I don't turn the TV off. I don't give it more power than it deserves. And I think that so many times, we give so many things power that really don't deserve any power at all. And so what are the things that we can actually give power to that are actually going to help us, grow us, enhance us, mature us, and make us a better athlete, a better entertainer, a better whatever we are, a better parent, no matter what we are, like, how can that make us a better person? And I think that's something that I've really have honed my skills in on. And I'm still learning every day. You got to practice it every day because one distraction can get you off. So my boyfriend, Elijah's here, who you know, he has a very specific question to ask you. What's up, man? I really wanted to know, 
You get hit more than most quarterbacks in the league. And how do you stay in a place, not just physically, but also mentally? Because knowing you, you are a positive, uplifting, like really clear, conscious, kind dude. And how do you keep that going? Because I mean, I know other guys that like get hit way less than you and you know, that shakes them up. What do you do for recovery? What do you do mentally? What do you do physically? How do you take care of yourself like that? I do all my training in the off season, right? So I, I get prepared where my off season is harder than the season. I do a bunch of boxing. I work on my footwork. I work on my movement. I work on my conditioning through that. I do lifting heavy weights and running. And I have a full-time chef. I have a full-time PT. I have two full-time trainers, mobility specialists. I have a massage person too. I have a full team and I've invested in that. It's a lifestyle. I think that to be great in anything, I don't believe in balance. If you want to be the best in the world, it's really freaking hard to have balance in your life. You know, people talk about balance and like there's this thing of like 50-50 and oh yeah, I can do this and I can do that and I can be all. But the reality is, and I think we all know, is that you can't have true balance. But we can have priorities to be highly, highly successful like you all are. Your lifestyle can't be random. You guys know about dress rehearsals, right? Well, life is not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot to do it right. And so to me, that's something that I've always believed in. And that's something that I've always invested in my time and energy. I don't waste my time with people that aren't going to help me grow because you don't get to always control your time. So when I do get to control my time, I want to make sure I honor each second of it. I want to have great adversity tolerance and I want to seek pressure. I don't run away from it. I don't shy away from it. I want to have productive self-talk. You run towards the pressure. Where do you find the most pressure in your life? I think I find the most pressure through me. I don't find it on the outside. I find it internally because I know my expectations set the standards so high of what I want to be able to accomplish. Always seeking for the best, always seeking to get it right, always seeking to do the right thing, always believing that it can work out and always knowing that, you know what, I'm going to look for the tough obstacles and I'm going to run to them, even if it's practice, <laughs> even if it's a game. I'm not going to shy away from being down 14 with three minutes to go. Like it comes to fruition more times than not. And the times that it doesn't, I just know it's another lesson. You know, life is about a collection of moments that can impact us and feed us and grow us. One of the things I always say, I got to be able to plant seeds in the ground. I can have great seed, meaning great ideas and great thought processes and great vision of what I want to do. And I could have great water and I can pour that water on that seed and help it grow. But if I have bad soil, it's not going to grow the way it's supposed to grow. Mm -hmm. And so to have the harvest, number one, you got to have rain. You got to have some obstacles. You got to have battles. You got to have the storm. But number two is you got to have good soil. And so to me, looking forward to the rain, looking forward to the pressure, looking forward to the obstacle, looking forward to the loss even at times is like, okay, this we're going to use this to catapult us is a good thing. But I also think that you need to have good soil. You need to have people around you. You know you can count on. And I think that's been the critical, critical, critical part in my life that when it is tough, when it is hard, and maybe I get pure water that I'm pouring on this thing over and over again every day and every morning, I'm praying about it and I'm talking about it and I'm speaking life into it. But dang it, if it didn't have good soil, if it didn't have good people around it, it is not going to grow. You just reminded me of this Casey Musgraves lyric that I love where she says, if you want to fill your bottle up with lightning, you're going to have to stand in the rain. It's so true. I love that. And I think that we have to be able to look forward to the rain, to be where I am today in my career. I won a Super Bowl in my second year, went to another Super Bowl my third year, like bang, bang, like oh gosh. on top of the world. And that then, was hard. And then you go through it and it doesn't work out. But dang it, you know what I know, Brie? I was effing there. Yeah. I was there. I, mean, I was there too. I mean, I wasn't physically there, but I, I was there with you. <laughs> Man, I thank God every day because 
I got an opportunity to do it. I'm going to do it again. I look forward to the obstacles. I look forward to the rain because it's actually made me a better man. It's made me a better player. It's made me a better quarterback. It's made me better at what I do. And it's given me more purpose in my life. Speaking of that Super Bowl, you're calling the plays. You're telling the team what the play is. But then also, you have all this preparation, train with the team. You have to know, how many plays do you have to know? Like hundreds of plays? You're not even allowed to say thousands of plays? Yeah. And you're changing the names and you're constantly, you know, it's all this code and like, you know, whatever your hand gestures are, whatever. I don't even know because I'm not supposed to know because it's also very secretive what you guys are doing down there. But then at the same time, all that preparation is dovetailing into making a judgment call. That's one of the things that I think is so amazing about pressure. And I wanted to ask you about those moments and how it feels in the moment when you've called the play, you've done all this preparation, there's this pressure moment, and now you have to pivot. Now in a like half second, you have to make a new decision. What's important about my position, and I think the most difficult position in sports, is that one, you have to know all the information. You have to know what everyone's doing. I'm the lead actor, but I'm also the director at the same time in a way. At the same time, too, I have to make that decision. As the ball is snapped, I have 1,001, 1,002 decide. 1,001, 1,002 decide. 1,001, 1,002 decide. So our listeners are clear. And if you don't do that, then it's you're getting smacked and you're on the floor now. Those are the repercussions. The thing that makes the position so difficult at playing quarterback position is that the other side is literally trying to take my head off, pretty much. They're trying to hit me as hard as they can. That's the name of the game. I love that part of it. I look forward to that pressure because I know that I get to decide and control most of the time what's going to happen. I know that I can control it better than them on the other side. I'd like to strike fear in my opponent. You're on your heels and you don't know what I'm going to do next. And that feeling is like awesome to have. What allows me to have that feeling is just preparation. I believe that I prepare better than anybody else in the world. Preparation allows me to play free. For both of you guys, you guys both act, but it's like the reason why they're paying you guys the big bucks is because it's you. What makes Bree so great? What makes Jesse great at what she does? And so sometimes like somebody may tell you that this is how I want it to look, this is how I want it to sound. But ultimately, like you have to feel it. You have to mm. be it. You have to fully become it. That's the coolest part about acting. That's the coolest part about playing. I, I, I always say playing the quarterback position is like being a great actor. I got to put my Denzel Washington impression on every time I step in the mm-hmm. huddle because I got to sell this play to you. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. got to pitch this play to you. You know, I got to make <laughs> sure that you know it and you can believe it. I'd love to know for you guys, you know, Jesse, how does mindset play into your world? How has that impacted you guys? Well, it was interesting what you were saying about neutral thinking really ties into something I deal with in therapy, which is like this black and white rationale where I realized that no one person is all good or all bad and having to face the fact that like I have some qualities I don't like in myself and then some qualities I do and being okay with living in that gray and knowing that I'm not going to be all powerful, but that also doesn't mean that I'm total shit. You know, there are days where I crush it and I go home feeling awesome and I kind of have to like humble myself sometimes and be like, okay, you're still probably going to fail sometimes and that's got to be okay. So I I really liked what you said about that. Thank you for sharing that about neutral. I'm going to utilize that a little bit more. I have in the past used negative thoughts as a way of putting pressure on myself to get positive results, to get a performance that I think is worthy of someone paying money to see it. And in the last couple of years, I've been trying to flip it and change a negative thought for gratitude. And so it's interesting hearing you say that I'm here, I'm here, because I'll look around the room and look at the different people on set and just send a little prayer of gratitude to each one of them. And that will get me in this zone. 
Do you have a fear of disappointing people? We talked to Glennon Doyle and she said that our goal should be to disappoint as many people as possible and just <laughs> not to essentially disappoint ourselves because why have we appointed these people in the first place? How does it feel when you have all these fans cheering for you and you know that you're on live TV and people really desperately want to watch you succeed? Do you feel that pressure and do you have any kind of fear about failing them? I think we all fear pressure. I mean, some form or fashion. You know what it makes causes more pressure? For example, Brie, you work on an amazing movie, you blow it out the water, you kick butt in it, and then next thing you know, everybody's expecting the next movie to be that much better. I think that's the thing that happens like a lot of times in life. Every time that we have success, there becomes like this new added pressure along the way. You become Carol and Captain Marvel, and it's like, okay, well, every movie now is that's what they're expecting. <laughs> like, come on, Carol. Gotta do it. Sorry. <laughs> And it gets so crazy that people will probably call you that on the street because you're so successful at it. As a result of that, we can cause more pressure on ourselves from the external pressure. What's really important is turning that external pressure into normalcy and saying, you know what, that's a gift. Once again, pressure is a privilege, but also understanding that let me use everything that I've gotten to this point. Let me understand how far I've actually come. Like to me, that, that always fuels my fire is like, I want to please myself. I don't want to let other people down. I don't want to say F you to everybody else. But what I want to say is that, hey, listen, I want to be the best version of me, not for you, but because of me, because God's called me to do that. And I think that's something that's been really important to me personally. We were just talking in the intro. We were making predictions about things we can't even imagine that you have to face. And I'm so curious, what's it like for you, that moment between the game and the post-game interview? And like, how do you wrap your mind around how to take something that just happened and then immediately go into an interview where you have to talk about it? Well, I always try to slow down first. I always think about the questions that they're probably going to ask. They give us this dumb rule, okay, in the NFL. It's like, okay, yeah, 15 minutes after the game, then all the media can come in there. And like, we're all like changing in 15 minutes. Like we... Like, think about it. Like, it takes a long time to get out of there, out of your suit. It takes me forever to get out of there. You came to the game and it took <laughs> me probably an hour and a half to come out. <laughs> but like, think about it. The game gets over. I say hi to all the other team, all the players, blah, blah, blah. I do the little prayer in the middle of the field. Next thing I know, I go in the locker room. So I have my shoulder pads on. Then coach has his little meeting. So that's 10 minutes into it. By the time I get to my locker, boom, here comes the media. And it's like, whoa. What I think is important is, is to be able to, in the process, understand what's important. Like, what's the real message? Once again, going back to neutral thinking, like, okay, we won this game, like great game, being upbeat about it, but we still have a challenge ahead of us. Like, and that's the truth. Like, that's just the reality of it. Okay, we lost this game. Ah, that, that play didn't go that well. Let me think about that play. Why didn't it work? Which I probably already thought about already. And then it's like, okay, that didn't work. Well, here's why. I think keeping it simple without overcomplicating it, that's the role. Do you have an example of a time that you handled pressure the wrong way? Or how would you specifically tell someone not to handle pressure? I think that what I've learned through my maturation of just life is that the chaos is a good thing. Because on the other side of chaos is, you know, a rainbow. There's gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, it's like there's a treasure at the end of the rainbow. Well, <laughs> with that rainbow, there was a storm. There was rain somewhere around this rainbow here before that. And so... I just think that sometimes to find the gold, to find the, the treasure in whatever you had to go through, they have to go through that storm. I think the times I haven't handled pressure would just be, I get upset. If we can all face the pressure and look forward to it, our language has got to be key. You know, for me and Sierra, we've done a lot together, you know, to be able to obviously have kids together and all that, to do life together. You know, we created business together. Every day, we got things that we got to answer. We got to decisions we got to make. We got to do our job and we got to be on top of it. And so 
being a dad, I put my own pressure on myself that, man, I, I want to be there more. I want to do this more. I started creating a schedule for this off season of just kind of my flow. So Monday, Wednesday, Fridays are kind of our romantic nights where me and Sierra, we always have a date night every Friday, but I've created two more. Very smart. Everyone wins. Are you banking them for the future? I'm not banking them. I'm taking advantage of them now. There you yeah, go. he's enjoying nice. them. I was teeing you up for that. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> it's been a cool journey, you know, and I think that in life, we have to be intentional with our time. Life is not a dress rehearsal. It's a real thing. And so to do it right, we got to be surrounded around the right people. I'm just so appreciative of you taking this time. And before we go, is there anything else you would like to talk about? Well, I think first of all, I was fortunate to be able to create a company called Limitless Minds with my brother. I have two other partners, Trevor Moad, and I have this guy named DJ Eidson. 10 or 11 years ago, I went to the IMG Academy. That's where top athletes in the world go. And I met this guy named Trevor Moad, who is the number one sports mental coaches in the world. And I wanted to know from Trevor, I said, I want to separate myself. I want to be the champion. I want to win. What's the one thing that can separate me? And I knew what that answer was. And me and him both at the same time said, my mind. We had all these amazing athletes around me. We all had great talent. The thing that separated me from them is I wanted to be able to own my mindset. I wanted to be able to dominate mentally. And so me and him spent about three hours a day going through mindset training and just getting my mind ready and controlling my language. Well, come to find out years later, my brother sitting in my backyard. He was in the sales force. And he said, you know, I want to step out. I want to be a risk taker. I want to help change people's lives. And I said, well, what are you thinking about? He said, well, I'm thinking about teaching people how to think. Funniest thing was me and Trevor had the day before we're talking about really expanding this neutral thinking thought out and doing it around the world and for companies and for people in general. Within a week, we created this company called Limitless Minds and we've been rolling ever since. It's been an amazing journey for us as we've been thinking about the well-being movement. Everybody's talking about mental health as a whole, but we want to really be able to lead a charge of just to create a new culture around mindset and mental health. And our mission is to be able to normalize, democratize, and, and mobilize uh, mindset training. And I think that's really important for us. And we want to be able to do that, not just in sport, business, but also education. If you guys want to learn more, obviously you can go to thinkbiggofar.com, a little hyphen in the middle. Limitless Minds, we're on Instagram, we're on all that stuff too. We've had a lot of fun along the way and it's been a cool journey for us. Thank you so much. I feel really honored and grateful for this time with you. Thank you so much. Anytime I can help, I'm here. See you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. I love how inspiring so many of our guests are. By the end, I'm like, whew, I got a lot to do. I feel like energized. You got three people on a Zoom call. You got one person who is extremely enthusiastic and two people that are open to the opportunity. And he just lifted us up. Yeah. Like we were his team. And so many things he said were things that we talked about in our private conversation before he jumped on. When he said balance doesn't exist, I was like looking at you so intensely. My hot takes are <laughs> real. But he is amazing. Just to start off straight off the bat with like, well, pressure is a privilege is just something so interesting because I did notice myself struggling when we were talking about like pressure with our jobs that I was like, oh, this is so ridiculous. Right. Like it's not really a pressure, but it is a pressure. And and just to cut right through and be like, I'm honored that I have this pressure is so, so cool. He's real special. I really love the neutral thinking. I got to be honest, the first time he said it, I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. And then he started talking about cars and I was like, oh, here's where you really lose me. <laughs> you want to talk, <laughs> talk about gears in a car? I drive a Prius. <laughs> I don't know about that. And then very quickly, it started to really come into focus for me. 
isn't it interesting that we still get to try again tomorrow? Okay, maybe you failed today, but it's an honor that you get to have the pressure of having failed and what an honor it is to get another shot at it. Here at Learning Lots, we think, why not add an extra little thing at the end to give perhaps a slight new angle or reinforce what we just heard by bringing in a doctor? The doctor is in. (laughs) And who is this doctor, Jesse? Our next guest is Dr. Michael Gervais. Dr. Gervais holds a doctorate degree in psychology specializing in sport performance and a master's degree in kinesiology. He's the co-founder of Compete to Create and host of the Finding Mastery podcast. Dr. Gervais is a high-performance psychologist working with world record holders, Olympians, internationally acclaimed artists and musicians, MVPs from every major sport, and Fortune 100 CEOs. Basically, he understands pressure. Hello, Michael. Thank you for being here today to talk with us about pressure. Oh, I'm stoked to be here. Thank you for including me. So we just uh, spoke with Russell. He had some incredible things to say. One big piece that we took away from it was the idea that pressure is a privilege. So we wanted to get your perspective on pressure because you are somebody who helps people deal with pressure. The idea that pressure is a privilege has its roots from one of the tennis greats who framed it differently. The privilege is that you are afforded the luxury to do something that allows you to be tested. So that's from a sport and performance standpoint. But if you flip it on its head, what is real pressure? Real pressure is when you don't know if you're going to make rent. You don't know if you're going to put food on the table for your kids. That's real pressure. So I think it's important that we frame it. When we're talking about, quote unquote, elite performance, and we're talking about getting to the edge of one's capacity by choice, there's an amazing gift that takes place which is you learn about yourself. The same holds true with people that are struggling for means. There's real pressure. You learn about yourself there. So from that framework, it is a privilege. But I think it's just really important that we round it out. All humans understand pressure to the idea that there's real struggle in people's lives. That's who we should be learning from. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's beautifully put. And what do you learn from that? You meet yourself. So let's just define pressure. It's when you feel and think as though you need to think or act faster than you might be capable of doing. As if the walls are closing in, as if the atmospheric pressure is pushing in. But really what takes place is we think we need to act faster than we're capable of, and we need to be highly accurate, or we need to think faster than we've ever thought, and we need to be highly accurate. And the need for high accuracy is because there's something on the line. So from a psychological standpoint, there's a speeding up and there's a noise that takes place. From a physiological perspective, there is a constriction that takes place. And where pressure shows up for most people is in public settings. I think one of the greatest fears for humans right now is the fear of other people's opinions. We no longer have a saber-toothed tiger. Most of us don't live in physically hostile worlds. And so the great fear is, what is somebody going to think of me if I don't get it right? And unfortunately, we experience pressure from the saber-toothed tiger or from the edge of a cliff or from, you know, not knowing if we're going to make rent in the same exact way when somebody glances at us in a way that we interpret it to potentially be hostile. What advice would you give someone who's interpreting someone else's hostility? There's a name for that. We call it FOPO fear of people's opinions. Not that different than FOMO. (laughs) I've never heard of that. Fear of people's opinions. It's the great constrictor of human potential. And what advice do you give? Well, 
let's start with this oversimplified analogy that your brain is the hardware and your mind is like the software. And so all software gets programmed. The first order of business is to become aware, a meditation practice, a journaling practice, or conversations with wise people. So that's how we switch up or level up some awareness. When you look at somebody and all of a sudden you feel this cascade, this physiological tension, your heart's beating a little faster, your mind is racing, you're starting to entertain the noise, which is like, well, what is she thinking? Or what is he thinking? And well, what happens if? And oh my goodness, all of that noise that's going on inside, once you're aware of it, you go, let me take a breath. A breath is a fantastic reset to this ancient brain. It's a skill. So the more you train breathing, the more efficient you'll be in a moment of potential or real distress. And so in sport, we call it front-loading. So we front-load our mental training so that when we meet a moment, that we can meet it eloquently. And then there's a whole nother, I think, big rock to get in the container when we talk about pressure is there is a way to dissolve pressure in your life. If there was a stack and on the bottom of that stack would be choking, and then right above it would be micro-choking. And then above that would be performing under pressure. And then above that would be thriving under pressure. And then above that is dissolving pressure. To get to dissolving pressure, you flip the idea that a moment is big. There's a big game, a big scene, a big tournament, whatever. You flip that language on its head, that philosophy on its head, and you say, there's no such thing as a big moment. And then you say, well, how could you possibly do that? So going into the Olympic Games, going into the Super Bowl, there's two ways that athletes approach world championships, whatever the quote unquote big is. Either you embrace that it is the biggest thing that you're ever going to experience, and then you train for that chaos, you train for that pressure, or you say, wait, hold on, that's another moment. The rules don't really change. The consequences don't necessarily change. When you flip this thing on its head and you embrace this idea, you say, well, this moment is the only moment you get. So practice being all of you in this moment. And when you do that over time, you eventually arrive at a moment where there's a lot of lights, there's lots of cameras, you know, Super Bowl, World Championships, whatever events you guys might be doing, and you're practiced at being fully present. So the moment is there in no longer bigger than you. You are as big as you can be. And so you eloquently meet and adjust to the demands of the moment. That that takes time and training, and it's incredibly freeing. So that's a really long way, Jesse, to say, how do you do it? Invest in awareness, invest in breathing, and then make a decision about how you want to think about quote-unquote big moments. And when somebody rolls their eyes or dismisses you or looks at you and doesn't give kind of any micro-expressions and you start to make up a story and you feel that, well, it might be because you care so much about what they're thinking of you because that is how you're defining yourself. You've given them the power to determine who you are. And that, my friends, is very dangerous, is very dangerous. And so when we don't feel good, we outsource our self-esteem. We outsource it to others. And that outsourcing, it's just dangerous because I can't imagine going through my entire life because I lived the first half of my life that way. I can't imagine going my entire life outsourcing my self-worth and self-esteem 
to the hostile actors or the busy, selfish actors of others. Like I just, I'm so glad I had a crisis in my life that I said, I'm not doing that shit anymore. What was that pathway for you? You hit, as you said, a crisis point. And was it a moment where you felt like you didn't meet the moment eloquently? Did some of these things come from your own introspection or did you have a mentor or someone that helped you see outside of the chaos, outside of this pressure that we're putting on ourselves that's creating maybe not the best versions of ourselves? It was all of that. I had a moment where I realized that all this training, I was was a young athlete. My sport of choice was surfing. So I could do it in free surfing, but I couldn't do it in competitive surfing, the thing that I wanted to do. And so there was a little bit of a mini crisis, you know, 15, 16 years old, where I was like, wow, I'm not really cut out for this thing. And then a competitor introduced to me this idea about how I think actually impacts my performance. Looking back, it was the beginnings of a lightning bolt swelling. I ran into too many times where I felt small and it was in public settings. It was just in places where I didn't know how to fully matter. And it's because I was outsourcing it. And so it was enough of that time in my life where I said, hey, listen, (laughs) this is not working. And I had a mentor since I was the age of 15 and he's still been with me today. It's like a beautiful blessing that I've had. What's up, Gary? And uh, so, (laughs) yeah. And so I don't know if you guys have mentors, but they're people that just, they've invested in getting you. So we can read all the books and know all the things or even the phrases to say, but it doesn't mean that it's in the fiber of our being. How do you get to that? Is it just taking that first step? Is it scheduling time for that introspection? My boyfriend and I talk a lot about the zero to one being the hardest, going from nothing into something, that first baby step is the hardest thing to do. Then once you have the momentum, you can go. So what does it look like for someone who's listening to this and is going, wow, this is all really resonating with me. How do I take that step from zero to one? I would downshift one level and get into kind of the root course of change. So the reason people change is because of pain. And when you get honest with that, then that zero to one step, I love that framing. That zero to one step is like, okay, because I am no longer okay with the pain I've understood and taking a step makes clear sense. But if you haven't internalized it and really sat with your own internal struggle, that zero to one step is like, you're doing it for some other reason. You're doing it for approval. You're doing it because someone suggested you're doing it because your mentor or your boyfriend or, 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 or. And Until you fully internalize it, do you go, hey, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm putting my running shoes on. Do you feel a certain way about being sick and tired of being sick and tired? You got to look within. And then that zero to one step, once you embrace and get true to your pain, you go, I'm going to do it. Then you go, okay, how am I going to meet these moments that quote unquote have pressure? If you just can't quite get your head around that every moment has equal value, this moment And the next moment, even when somebody's watching, if you can't get down with that philosophy and you want to see it as like there's pressured moments in your life and I'm going to meet those demands, that's cool too. That can definitely work. And so practice though. How do you practice? Awareness training, mindfulness journaling and or conversations with wise people, breathing training, self-talk training, optimism training. It just kind of sneaks up on you. It's not like all of a sudden you're like, da-da, I've arrived. It's a work in progress for sure. You mentioned coming back to breathing and different breathing techniques. Will you expand on that? So it is one of the mechanisms that we can control that sends a signal to our ancient brain. It's actually a quite powerful practice. There's four parts to every breath. There's the inhale, there's the pause, the exhale, 
and then the pause. And there is an exact science that can go with it that is unique and bespoke to your needs. And so if you're doing box breathing at five, 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 five seconds in, five hold, five out, five hold at the bottom, that's cool. That's like for most people, there's somewhere around there that does a lot of good. And if we were to downshift again and kind of get to something bespoke to you, it might be six, 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 or it might be six, six, 12, six. And so when you double the exhale, so let's say it was six up, six hold, 12 out, six hold, that that creates a bit of an exchange between carbon dioxide and oxygen. Eventually, you will trip over a wire of anxiety. So this type of breathing that I'm suggesting will get you practiced at an anxious state. Now that pays dividends because most of the time we have to wait for ourselves to feel anxious, triggered by a social event or you know something that brings pressure, whatever. But what I'm suggesting now is if you did a breath, let's call it six, six, 12, six, and you did it 10 times in a row, for most people around the seventh breath, you will start to feel some panicky because your brain is starving for oxygen. And actually you're not gonna starve yourself from oxygen, it just feels that way. And so when you get to work with yourself in that kind of anxious state, you learn about yourself. And then when you learn about yourself, what you end up getting to do is learning how to relax in those states. You learn how to work with your thoughts in those states. So for you, it might be a five, five, 10, five, or it might be seven, seven, 14, seven, or it might be 10, 10, 20, 10. And so I would suggest play. And if you can do 10 in a row, three days in a row, then level up and say you do five, five, 10, five, and you can do that 10 times in a row for three days in a row. And you're like, yeah, I got it. Then move up to six, six, 12, six. Eventually you'll find your tripwire <laughs> and <laughs> you will meet yourself. I promise you. I love the idea that we can, even just with our breath, which is free and available to us at all times. And if you add up the time it would take to do a breathing exercise, it blows my mind how minimal it is in this grand scheme of our day. And yet I find myself pushing it off, forgetting to do it. So perhaps to our listeners, there's a way of making time, scheduling it, doing it at a certain time to give yourself that space. I mean, I use it as part of a meditation. I do it when I'm on my way to work and I didn't realize it, but that is exactly right. It is when I have those moments, where my brain's going, oh gosh, like panic, like the survival brain comes in. Those are the moments when I meet myself. We have a saying in the stunt gym this is why we train. And it's usually when you've fallen on your face, you know, you try to do something crazy and it doesn't work or you look stupid and you know, this is why we train. And then it repeats again when you're on set in the moments working, this is why we train. And it's something that's sort of come in my head of saying it, not just about physical things, but also about mental agility, relaxation, and also allowing success to not be something negative, that it is meeting what we were made to do that all of us are meant to elevate to a certain level and that we can find ways to not trip ourselves up in the process to allow ourselves to meet the moment, whatever that moment is. Amen. Most people don't do training. If you want to get good at being authentic, that requires training. If you want to be good at being calm, being confident, psychologically nimble, it requires training. But during training, what we do is we embrace being ugly. It's not good. It's not pretty. It's part of the learning mechanism where it's sloppy and it's inefficient and it's shaky, if you will. Most people don't embrace that part of their life. We're stuck with this Instagram, I need to look beautiful thing. 
and we're practicing looking beautiful, but not practicing being ugly. And when you're on the edge of your capabilities, the more time you spend up there, the better you get at being grounded. The second part of what you said that is brilliant is that breathing training is free, it's available, and it's hard. We just got a conversation with a wise person. Hey, yes, hey, we did. I feel the same. Come on. You guys are great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, that was awesome. What stuck out to you? Well, the thing that's going to be the easiest to remember is FOPO. The conditioning, mind conditioning, breathing, having conversations with wise people, journaling, all of that is stuff that is so easy to apply. You know, the way that Russell talked about scheduling your week, I am going to put in little breathing exercises into my schedule so that it's not just something I feel like I failed at remembering to do, but it's something I've prioritized. It's amazing. I've just learned from my own experience that the first things that I forget to do are the things that I need the most. And it's journaling, breathing exercise, talking with you, a wise person, my mentor, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. And I also loved the phrase ancient brain that he used yeah. because I have found that my brain just feels like it's an old computer that I'm working with. And so ancient brain makes it sound very fancy in a way. It's an ancient yes. brain. It's antiquated. It's vintage. It's, it's a vintage <laughs> brain. It's high quality vintage. <laughs> and I got to care for it. Did you have a favorite thing that he said? Thinking about pressure, to immediately reframe it and take it not just in that pressure only happens when something is high stakes, but that we can be living in a state of being in pressure, that that has real effects on our brain, on our body, on our spirit, and that if we can include some of these small things, like maybe a breathing exercise that we meet ourselves, but we meet ourselves at times where not everything is at stake. Doing a breathing exercise, feeling that anxiety and going, oh, there I am, is very different than pressure testing it um, yeah. at a big presentation for your job. And so I'm thinking about it, not just in work, but even in my relationships. This brings me into the idea of confrontation, that all of these things that will happen, they're bound to happen in our life. But if we can use each day, each moment, each breath as an opportunity to train for these moments that we don't know when they will come then we can meet the moment. It's just such a beautiful way of looking at it that we are in training. I realized there are so many instances where I feel pressure and so I just ignore the pressure. I'm like, no, no, it's not there. It's not there. But I feel like I can utilize that feeling more. I can be like, yeah, this is a high pressure situation. So I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to condition my mind. I'm going to condition my body. I'm going to get clear. And I'm excited to apply this episode to my real life. Me too. This was great. Took me to a place that was sort of unexpected, but that's what's fun about it. Thank you so much to Michael. Thank you to Russell. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you liked this episode. And thank you, Brie. Thank you, Jesse girl. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. <laughs>